Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to this special episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 180. This episode is special because I'm actually on a panel discussion here uh, with folks from Peakspan Capital. Uh, so I am not hosting. Uh, one of their folks, uh, Russell Perkins, is moderating a discussion between uh, me and Socket Merchant. What are the partners at Peakspan Capital? So a wide-ranging conversation. Really enjoyed being a part of this, uh, talking about everything from admissions and student success and everything in between and how ed tech and digital tools are impacting the work there and kind of what are the trend lines that we're following looking at uh, the year ahead. So really appreciate this opportunity. So definitely check out Peakspan Capital and what they're up to as they support uh, just greater innovation here in the greater ed tech world. So I really appreciate uh, them coming together to have this conversation and appreciate you checking out this episode number 180 with me, Sankit, and Russell. Hi, everyone. Welcome to our Higher Ed Focus Roundtable discussion today. We have the pleasure of being joined by Dustin Ramsdell and Sankit Merchant, who will be going through a couple different topics today that I know are top of mind for a lot of people in the broader education ecosystem. So I thought we kick it off with a couple quick intros. Uh, I'm Russell Perkins. I'll be moderating the discussion today. and I'll hand it off to Dustin to give his quick couple minutes. The founder uh, and host of the Hired Geek podcast for the past uh, over five years. I've uh, been working professionally in the space for, geez, almost 10 years. Um, and I've been podcasting most of that time uh, prior to this with a different show. But yeah, just love having conversations, uh, thinking big about uh, kind of the hot topics of the day and sort of relevant uh, solutions for folks to really focus on kind of the student experience and student success, how they can find effective digital solutions uh, to those modern problems. First and foremost, thanks for everybody for listening in. My name is Sankit Merchant. I'm a partner at Peakspan Capital. We're a US-based growth equity firm. We manage about a billion and a half in capital. Um, have had the privilege of working with over 70 entrepreneurial teams. And at our firm, I lead our education technology or ed tech, as well as our learning development practice. Those are one of two areas that I spend all of my time. And so we define ed tech as everything from early child education, K-12, higher education, vocational training, and then professional lifelong learning. You know, we're typically working with startups and, and scale up businesses that are looking to scale from like three to five million in ARR to 30 million plus. And what that typically means is that you know, these are businesses that are pioneering innovation and leadership in strategic and emerging categories within education technology typically are like 30 to 50 employees at the time that we partner with these entrepreneurs are helping them kind of navigate the scale of journey through everything from product strategy, really, you know, having a, a really awesome kind of voice to the customer, understanding the intimate kind of need and pain points of, of their customers. And so one of the things that we've been excited by is, you know, education technology, you know, at the highest level is vertical software. And one of the, what I hope is kind of a, a more progressive approach that we're, we're pioneering here at Peakspan is, is looking at the academic institution like the enterprise, right? It is the enterprise. It's composed of multiple stakeholders um, that, you know, should and, and rightfully so should be delighted, optimized, um, should be focusing on the outcomes that we're driving for those key constituents, whether it's faculty, administrators, students, parents, and the like. And so I think, you know, one, we've been privileged to work with Dustin um, for the better part, or probably coming up on, on a couple quarters, if not uh, closing in on our first year, and just been amazed by his thought leadership, his pulse on the landscape, um, and excited. I think it's an exciting time within ed tech. Um, I think there is um, a lot of progress that we've made, but I think we see a ton of disruption on the horizon, and so excited to have this conversation today. 
Thanks for that, Sankit. And I, I agree with you. I think this is going to be a, a pretty fruitful and interesting conversation, just given the backgrounds of, of everyone involved. So I, I think the first topic I was hoping to cover today is in the area of admissions and enrollment. So I'll throw this one to you, Dustin. Uh, how do you think higher ed institutions can differentiate amongst some of the other competitors out there to really tackle the challenge of decreasing enrollment rates? One just higher reaching thing that I, I feel like I haven't heard a lot of people talk about as much is like, you know, you've seen that uh, the alternative providers that are out there can serve as partners for higher institutions. So like, you could look at it as not sort of a like, okay, we have to figure out how to compete with these more, you know, uh, short term credentials and boot camps and those sort of things like they obviously would love to have a higher institution brand as a partner. So I think thinking through opportunities there, um, and figuring out as an institution, how to I think resist the temptation to try to be all things to all people. Um, I think that, you know, there's regional institutions, community colleges, and, um, you know, the small liberal arts institutions that are all doing something different. And I think they need to lean into that differentiation of like, you know, the academic specialities that they uh, really excel in um, and the sort of experience that they want for their students. Because on one hand, I think you're seeing that there are a lot of winners coming out that are achieving a high level of scale of like 30,000 plus students. But um, if you can kind of right size and stay lean, you don't necessarily need to just keep on like growing more and more students every single year. And all, like, because that comes with more complexity, it comes with more, I would say, costs and everything. So if you can kind of, you know, level set and calibrate to what feels like a really good uh, size for what you offer and ability to kind of focus, I think that makes a clear differentiation op, uh, kind of option for students because, you know, it, it happens a lot sort of just in the economy at large where you start to have kind of duplicitous imaging, like every institution kind of looks like the next one because they're all trying to be like Harvard or something. And it's just, it's just not possible. Like that's an exceptional institution that's been around for a really long time. But if you can kind of recognize, you know, the things that, you know, make you unique, make you unique and kind of lean into those, um, I think that that's really important. Um, and really honoring the kind of, you know, the question is like, how do you differentiate? It's like by being different, like by really leaning into those differences, by sort of recognizing that, you know, you don't have to offer every single, you know, academic program under the sun, you know, which ones you have great faculty who are committed and that seem to really resonate with students and um, that just align with kind of the, uh, your, your brand and your mission as an institution. So uh, those are the things that kind of come to mind where, um you know, it's something that I've been thinking a lot about is sort of like right sizing an institution and sort of, you know, calibrating in that way. And I know focus and specialization is something that uh, is very near and dear to Sankit's heart. So curious to know uh, <laughs> if you have anything to respond to there. No, it's, 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 uh, no, I appreciate <laughs> I'm chuckling at that. Um, no, I, I think what Dustin said is spot on. And I think it, especially when you look at it on a, on a relative basis, like what the alternative paths are now available to, you know, modern learner, the modern student. And I think that, you know, we have to break ourselves from this like conventional view of what is the demographic of a student, right? I mean, I think, you know, we've seen this with professional learning, lifelong learning, it's really evolving the, you know, the advancements around different, you know, programs that are available out there, these boot camps, specialized kind of skills development programs, I think are amazing. I think what I come back to is one, this is a systemic issue for universities and maybe you're just approaching it from a, a slightly different angle to complement Dustin's response, but is one is you know what i was research we've been doing and, and things that we've been seeing is that over half of the revenue that a university college or school 
you know, receives is through tuition, right? So like one, this is a huge part of the revenue model. It's absolutely critical. Um, and a part of that is like the units are, they're seeing depletion in units of enrollments, but also like the composition of those enrollments. Right. Um, and I think that's all due to, you know, kind of the, the impact of COVID. I think what it comes down to from my perspective is one, it's, it's an absolutely critical problem. Every you know, academic leader is talking about this or focused on it. Um, solutions in the EdTech ecosystem are anchoring around this in terms of value propositions. But I think it comes down to, from my perspective, three things. One is um, student experience, what we're doing to drive student support, and then student outcomes. Right. And I think at the end of the day, I was reading some research recently that like some of the top, you know, universities like Harvard and UPenn and Princeton and the like are, are starting to latch onto this idea of divorcing themselves from the national college rankings. Um, and what you're seeing here is, you know, you know, whether it's universities themselves or, you know, nonprofits, philanthropic organizations starting to, to measure, you know, the success of, a, of, a, of an institution by the social and economic mobility that they're offering. And so I think this is just a, a really awesome paradigm shift in terms of creating kind of sustainable differentiation, which is what outcomes are you driving for students? What are you doing to transform their lives um, post-college? And so I think that's where it comes down to. Are we delivering a best-in-class experience for the students? Are we being able to, to provide you know, visibility on outcomes that we're driving, providing prescriptive pathways as to how different academic programs lead to outcomes? How does that you know fare in terms of outplacement, in terms of career success, career trajectory, earnings mobility, social mobility? Um, and I think the, the other thing I would just call out too, is like, you know, I don't know that there's clear data on this, but, you know, I was looking at a recent study and it said that 60% of college students qualify with one, um, you know, component of a mental health illness or what is a description of mental health issues. Um, and that's, that's terrifying. I'm the father, I've got twin boys at three and a half years old. One of the things that I love about EdTech is our ability as growth investors to be able to change the trajectory of the experience that our kids and the next generation of students are going to have. Um, and so to see the toll that mental health has had on propensity or willingness to go explore post-secondary education, I think is, is really concerning. So I agree with Dustin a hundred percent. I think that this goes back to kind of my opening remarks, like, you know, we're, we're early in the innings of this. Like if we use the baseball analogy, I feel like we're in the bottom of the first, top of the second in terms of how universities, colleges are thinking about their businesses like the enterprise. But ultimately there's gotta be a recalibration on what are we doing to drive student experience, student outcomes um, that I think is gonna be the long-term success of saying we can, we can thrive with these other emerging academic programs and pathways. Um, but it, there is an, a level of accountability in terms of, you know, our value is no longer just purely our brand, right? Um, it'll be a while before it's fully like kind of divorced, but I, I think what we're seeing is a movement in that direction. You've almost certainly heard of Slate, one of the most powerful admission CRMs on the market. And you may have also heard of HubSpot, a dynamic and robust marketing CRM that is second to none when it comes to marketing and full funnel reporting. But have you heard of HubSlate? HubSlate is a two-way data sync between HubSpot and Slate that ensures consistency of data and information for prospective, current, and former students. Gone are the days of list uploads, checking multiple platforms for the most up-to-date information, or having to pull multiple reports in order to get a sense of your entire enrollment funnel. With HubSlate, you'll be able to work smarter, more efficiently, and without all of the stress that comes with managing contact records. It's 2023. 
it's about time that you let your systems work for you. If you want to learn more about HubSlate or see a demo, visit enrollify.org slash HubSlate. That's enrollify.org slash HubSlate, and you'll instantly qualify for 20% off the onboarding fee. Now, on to the show. Yeah, I think that concept of a status quo, this is how it's always been done, uh, you know, this is just the rules, uh, I think that is a really harmful thing going forward. And I think I don't want to lead the witness here, but I, I would love to hear Dustin, your thoughts just around what do you think of the current state of you know, recruiting, admissions, enrollment? Is it is it working as is? Is it something where we can make some changes and it will get fixed going forward? Or is it something you think we need to fully retool and just is inherently broken at this point? Yeah, I mean, uh, on one hand, just from like what Sanko was saying, like I, a lot of my experiences in like student success, student support, and retention and everything. So um, I love to think there's going to be a, a much more renewed focus on that moving forward because I think there was so much kind of focus and attention on the uh, kind of top of the funnel and rec- recruiting students and everything. But now as sort of the, I think the pendulum is swinging the other way, there's kind of the reckoning of like, okay, I think we do need to, need to investigate and sort of uh, kind of kick the tires, look under the hood of like how we have recruited students where, you know, when, you know, the good times were rolling and students were plentiful, you didn't necessarily have to really kind of uh, revamp what you're doing. But I think there's just now an opportunity and certainly a necessity, kind of an urgency around uh, helping to make sure that students are able to make better informed choices about how they're choosing their higher ed options, where they can find a better uh, social and academic and financial fit. Uh, Because I think you sometimes see that students are kind of maybe... uh, overly sort of bottlenecking towards those few, you know, name brand sort of high-end academic options where there could be a lot of other places that could be an amazing option for them where they could get, you know, a full ride and have great uh, outcomes and those sort of things versus, you know, some other places. Like they're not doing a lot to innovate because they don't have to, you know, like they're always going to have a plentiful pipeline of students and the students maybe that do end up even going there also don't need a lot of support because they're, you know, highly resourced and that sort of thing. So I think for the students who are, you know, first generation and underrepresented and adult learners and commuters and online students and all these sort of things, like there's a lot of opportunity uh, to help those students make well-informed decisions for really truly best fit institutions that may not have been on the radar before. They might be kind of, you know, these diamonds in the roughs, kind of the needles in the haystack um, and kind of uplifting them and really just trying to kind of clear up what I think is sort of needlessly complicated admissions processes. So, you know, if it is, again, if you're finding partnership opportunities with a, you know, maybe alternative education provider or something, it's like they complete this boot camp, they're able to start working, maybe they get a funding mechanism through that, but then they get preferred admission or sort of an ease of entry into getting their bachelor's degree or, you know, more sort of like direct admissions or not having certain things be how you're evaluating prospective students to be a good fit for your institution, you know, because in a lot of this, I've been learning a lot um, from the work of uh, Vielka Hoy from Bridge to College. She's been, I have an interview in my podcast last year, and I've just been continuing to talk with her because she's been kind of educating me on this side where like, I've, I've just had a lot of kind of blind spots and sort of the uh, enrollment side of things. But like something that really stuck with me is that idea of like, a lot of institutions will look for calculus on students' high school transcripts and a lot of high schools don't offer it. And so they think like, oh, you didn't take calculus. Like, why didn't you do that? Did you, you weren't like interested or something? It's like my high school literally doesn't offer it. And you see that class as like a barometer for like my, you know, potential success at your institution, those sort of things. So it's like you can make these sort of pivots with policies like that 
and just also make investments in digital tools and platforms to better position yourself so that students can more easily find you versus like everybody kind of dogpiling on to like Google ads or something for, you know, um, so sort of search results. So um, those are some things that come to mind where I think there's a lot of opportunity to fix um, a somewhat broken status quo for for admissions. And, and Dustin, that's actually really funny because I, I was chuckling there because I... Um... Um, what you described there with that calculus class is exactly kind of describes like my high school. I went to I uh, I went to high school in a small little town in the middle of America in southeast Colorado. Entire city population was 70, 750 people. My high school graduating class was twenty like twenty four, and um, um, not for lack of enthusiasm, willingness to do things, but there was a lot of restrictions in terms of you know what our high school could support, both from you know the demand side in terms of were there a lot of students that wanted to take those classes and what were their academic you know aspirations and then two is like just as a school district like do they have the resource to be able to support some of these programs and candidly not having the educators to to be able to do that right and so for this little kid from southeast colorado who wants to go to an awesome university that is being measured against students at other schools that may have those access to those those resources those programs yeah, how do you compare? You've heard about international baccalaureate and programs. And I had no idea that what that was until I went to the University of Colorado and realized like that's a huge thing. So um, I, I couldn't agree more with that. Yeah, I think it's a really unique point where the back end kind of management and infrastructure of, you know, a 20 to 50 person graduating class and a you know, multiple thousand person university some of those schools and universities are going to have some of the same challenges and some of them are going to have very different challenges. So Dustin, I'd love to get your expertise on this. Um, How how have you felt that colleges have historically handled campus-wide commission, student engagement and and digital infrastructure in the past? And I, I guess maybe some of the things that you're seeing as potentially innovative in a space where there are some common needs, but also some very different uh, requirements. Yeah, I mean, my my hopeful aspiration, which I think is uh, unfortunately somewhat lofty, is creating more uh, of like a unified campus-wide like uh, student information system or CRM, like those sort of things so that like, you know, that database of students, who's interacting with them, when and why could be much more kind of ubiquitous and common because I think you've seen that, you know, the School of Business has their one way of doing things and all that, even when one institution, especially for bigger ones. So um, if everybody could be kind of like, you know, working towards the same point or using that same system and maybe kind of riffing on it in a unique way, but they're still kind of like speaking kind of a similar language that would be uh, huge for me. And just generally that kind of way to integrate systems better together um, so they work better together um, where you have communications platforms to do, you know, mass texting or, you know, text back and forth with students or, um, you know, uh, have phone calls and different things be able to be all be logged really easily that you're communicating with students. So we know sort of, you know, how often these students have been uh, communicated with. And a lot of this also, you know, admittedly comes from my background of working as a coach and all that being like so helpful for me and my work directly with students and just wanting that, I think, for more students and for more staff members. Um, but even with that, uh, I love to see in terms of like uh, student engagement and, and digital investments and everything, stuff like uh, chatbots to make communication more efficient and kind of optimized so that, you know, those frequently asked questions can be kind of engaged with more actively. But then if there is something unique, it can, it can be escalated. 
you know, creating more kind of seamless mobile experiences. I think you've just seen a lot of improvement there. And uh, I'd love to see just continued iteration on really, you know, optimized mobile experiences. But um, I think just generally through all, all that kind of threaded through is ideally being able to personalize communication and both the content and modality uh, for different stakeholders. So that can be prospective students, current students, alumni, um, parents, you know, uh, and those sort of things that if they, uh, like they're getting information about things they need to do um, and different tasks. And if they prefer to get email, they prefer to get a text message, they prefer to get a phone call or something, we know that and we sort of uh, work towards catering to that. That doesn't mean that they never will get an email. That doesn't mean they never will get, you know, a text message if they prefer a phone call or something. But um, if it's like, I really need to get a hold of the student, they prefer evening phone calls, I, I will I will do that and trying to kind of create sort of the infrastructure of you know staffing and all these different things it's definitely a lot lot sort of implicit in this but you know to try to reach these increasingly you know working adult learners who are studying maybe fully online or hybrid and uh, all that to kind of yeah just personalize their outreach get them the information that they need the way that they prefer to get it yeah and i know in the past couple of years infrastructure as a whole whether it's how the school is going to be run how the instruction is going to be delivered any number of things has has undergone a, a pretty big upheaval. And Sankit, I was wondering if there were any particular areas that you've seen where, you know, a specific category or a specific type of tool within EdTech has really changed this status quo of how do I manage the backend infrastructure, um, you know, of my institution? Yeah, it's a really good question. And before I, I maybe jump to that, I, I just, I want to like vehemently agree with like Dustin on that point. I mean, I think, I think there's like two, you know, one of the unique vantage points we have is having seen more progressive approaches and other kind of like ancillary pockets of like the software ecosystem. And so when I think about like, you know, online education, blended learning's here to stay, but that's not too dissimilar from how we thought about like the, the, the monstrous rise in remote work. Or if you look at like, could you imagine a world where you're working for an organization where one team is using Slack, another team is using a different communication, asynchronous communication tool, you know, it would just be, it would be mayhem. And so I think, I think at the end of the day, like, you know, I uh, I feel like our, our brothers and sisters in the academic <laughs> in the academic world. I'm a bit removed from, you know, having experienced these problems like firsthand myself. But I think the couple things that like stick out to me there that I'm excited by, and I know our team is is super excited by, and talking to a bunch of cool entrepreneurs that are doing some cool stuff in these areas. But one is, you know, I think is is one there has to be a ubiquitous experience. There's so many kind of pillars and pockets of experiences that happen on campus or even on a, in a digital campus, right? Um, and I feel like every school is kind of operating with its own or you know, every like department is operating with it, its own silos. If you're participating in, in, you know, like I was a part of a ton of like student government, I was a part of different social kind of um, uh, community groups. Right. And there was like there was no single place to go to be able to have visibility across all the different experiences that the campus had to offer. Right. And so when I think about businesses like. Pathify, for example, that are offering what is kind of a, a modern intranet for uh, for a university campus so that students have visibility from everything from their academic pathways, journeys, and experiences to on-campus resources through career services, through mental health services, um, through like groups that they may be participating in, events that they're having on campus, sporting events. Like I think that's amazing to be able to provide students with what I call like the integral system of record, which is you know, it's effectively 
a system of record that sits across disparate systems of record and systems of engagement to provide visibility. And I think that's amazing in terms of driving best in class student experience. And I think what's interesting is, and, and Dustin, you know, he's been in the, he's been in the seat um, firsthand, but also probably knows a ton of folks, but we are now, as we talk to university leaders, we're seeing more roles around director, VP and above of student experience, not just student affairs. And I think that that is showing that to me is a really interesting predictive indicator as to one recognition of criticality and importance, but two is just prioritization, right? I think, I think there are going to be a ton of ed tech tools that benefit from that. The second thing that I think is interesting too, is like, we, we saw this in our investment in Arist, right? So it's a text-based microlearning solution, but is the shift towards one is, and we see this across enterprise software just generally, but is meeting the user in the flow of work, right? So how do these student populations, educators, faculty members, learners, how do they want to operate? Where do they spend their time? It's on a mobile device. So just thinking in mind, like to be able to drive an awesome experience, one, it should be mobile centric. We, we need to, you need to cater to the flow of work for those individuals. And so I think Dustin, what you were talking about in terms of, you know, having, you know, mobile centricity as at, like at the core of your organization, thinking about text-based approaches, consolidating communication, whether it's with parents or with students, like, I think that all makes a ton of sense. And we're seeing a lot of cool companies that are helping kind of pioneer that across the university, which is really, really exciting. And I think the last thing I would just call it on that front that I think should be a priority and have a lot of data to kind of like support it but is this notion that like if you are if you've got online education programs you know the the pride the 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 ambition or, or enthusiasm in me says like you have a digital university with all these this this portfolio of awesome experiences and shame on us if we're not providing the same like parody and experience to those learners, right? Um, and I think about that, we see that with remote work. We have a number of our companies in our portfolio that are remote only. And I would hope that none of those entrepreneurs concede the fact that we can't create a best in class experience, even if our our office walls are digital walls, right? And so I think, I think having, you know, um, you know, institutions kind of think about it from that vantage point is going to be super important. I think, you know, Russell, to your question on, on the infrastructure side, I think are a couple of things that I, I just keep thinking about. And ultimately it comes down to, it's our sense across like ed tech broadly. There's been a lot of like digital fatigue. I think a lot of folks are like blended learning is here to stay. Tools are here to stay. We are absolutely bullish. Like the totality of ed tech spend is enormous and education services is enormous. Um, but I think like, I think about my kids and say like, gosh, would I want them on an iPad for <laughs> eight hours a day? Probably not. I mean, I see what happens when they watch a video and I stop the video, right? It's, it's, it's absolute mayhem. So, you know, I think, I think we just, you know, whether it's chat GPT or, you know, other different, you know, emerging technologies, like, you know, I think ad adaptability adaptation is, is going to be paramount in terms of just how do we work with emerging technologies, but maintain the integrity of, of kind of academic standards and, and um, some of the, the more brick and mortar synchronous experiences. That's one. And then two is like, there's amazing tools that, when put together thoughtfully with with strong interoperability, good governance, compliance, security, um, you know, really fulfill this idea of like one plus one equals three. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for a lot of universities that they've got amazing tools, but the infrastructure is just not there. Um, and so I think I think whether it's 
being able to provide prescriptive learning pathways. Like I don't like a lot of this metadata, a lot of this learner data exists, um, but it's in siloed systems. And I'm not sure that, you know, today you're seeing the large concentration, the fat part of the, the, the distribution curve, the bell curve of, you know, schools leveraging, um, you know, kind of, uh, data intelligence to drive some of the outcomes and some of the experiences that they could. Right. And I, I think for, for me personally, like that's an area that we are as a firm really excited by, because I think the sophistication, you know, there are tools that you can cobble together where it's an ETL looking at data warehouse, data lake house to be able to like, you know, envision what a future in terms of data intelligence could look like and how those affect the different applications and use cases within your university. But I, I don't mean this in a, in a, you know, I guess part of the cynical side of me is that it just requires a lot of resource, a lot of time. And I'm just not sure that the, the IT teams, the office of the CIO, the office of the CTO has the resource the bandwidth to think about this as strategically. And so I think one of the greatest opportunities for ed tech businesses is how can you one recognize these pain points, these opportunities as you have done, but really focus on, um, you know, out of the box kind of use cases, rapid time to value, being able to help, you know, I think um, remove some of the friction um, that exists on the, that like a lot of the, the school leaders are having to burden themselves to get to this, this vision of what the future could look like, if that makes sense. Um, and so it's like, instead of, instead of like, you know, providing all the key ingredients, what folks want when they go into the pastry shops, they want the cake, can you deliver the cake? Right. And I think I think that the fruits of that, um, the rewards of that approach, are, I think, are going to be massive. I totally agree. And, and to your point, that point of access or ability to go into the pastry shop, I, I think is very key and is going to be different for students from different backgrounds, students with different academic levels, students with different goals. And so, Dustin, what would you say that some of the issues might be for students that lack access or knowledge of these types of campus resources, mentorships, support systems, things like that. Well, and I, and I love everything that you're saying, Sanket. I appreciate the uh, tip of the hat to, to Pathify and just generally, yeah, this philosophy <laughs> of like creating like a, created the moniker of is like a digital first university where like, we're not trying to say like, everything's going to be online and all that. But like, like you said, it's like you, a lot of companies have to think that way of like, how are we thinking digital first and how it can maybe kind of augment the work that's happening in person or synchronously and those sort of things. I think, you know, universities are uh, on a similar path, but, you know, whether a student's online or not, I think if they are experiencing those gaps of supports and the high quality, high impact practices and different things around, you know, mentorships or uh, anything else, like, you know, it's the same thing and, you know, creating these kind of comparison points and metaphors, which I love, like, you know, you think about if you're trying to buy something and you hit sort of hurdles and roadblocks and friction and all that, like you're probably just going to bail out and not buy that thing or buy it from somewhere else. Like it's that sort of student experience thing where if students are getting confused, turned around, can't find the information they need on the website, can't get in contact with anybody, they are likely to get frustrated and stop out, you know, and that they may return to your institution or somewhere else or not at all. And that's definitely like a huge issue that all people are trying to tackle is to how to kind of bring those people back in and give them those supports that they need, be successful, especially, you know, for your first generation students and for working adult learners and those sort of things which just have a very complex uh, lives and they just don't have a lot of time to be waiting around or trying to figure things out and all of that. But uh, the other part of it is like, you know, 
you have these students who are likely going to end up like making decisions in a vacuum if they don't have the actual answer, the right information, or they're not hearing back from people, or they're like, you know, asking their peers and they're getting kind of the game of telephone of like, well, I heard this, or I think you're supposed to do that and all that, you know, like they could likely just be wrong about like, oh, this course counts for this or that in my degree plan, or at best, they're just being kind of grossly inefficient with their higher ed degree progress and everything, or, you know, just going through with their like time studying if like, you know, they could have gotten connected with the tutor and optimized an hour's worth of study time with them versus spending four hours sort of muscling and struggling their way through to try to understand a concept um, or kind of the worst case scenario around like your degree progress, like, you know, they take courses that are essentially like a waste of time or don't count, or they could have like doubled or triple dipped of like their different degree, you know, requirements and those sort of things and save time and money. Um, so those are the things that come to mind when you just sort of like, you know, we've built it, they will come here and it's fine or whatever. And then you just kind of have students sort of scrambling um, and there's those few sort of like, you know, uh, high achieving, highly resourced students who can like find their own private tutor, don't mind spending as much time, you know, at, at their higher institution because like they're not paying, you know, and taking on like debt or something. So, um, you know, for learners, you know, we're seeing that time and cost and, you know, what am I getting out of this are so important. So we need to kind of scaffold them. Uh, to get that at end point, because unfortunately, especially if you're, you know, studying for a bachelor's, like it doesn't do you any good if you got 95% of the way there, like you need to get kind of all the way. And we need to make sure that we're seeing those students through with this variety of resources of, you know, yeah, mentors and campus resources and everything. And Sanket, have you seen any specific areas or, or types of ed tech solutions that really help with this problem of access or knowledge? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it goes back to, I mean, it's, it, um, we certainly have, right? And I think at, at the stage that we're looking at, companies are hyper-focused. And so they're not trying to be everything to everyone, but trying to a, attack an acute pain point, which I think is a key ingredient to success. I think I, I love what Dustin said. And I think, you know, it, it made me kind of reflect back on my own kind of <laughs> college experience. And there was like small things like, you know, a service on campus at the University of Colorado at Boulder, where you know, you could, you could go in and, and get like, you know, different, like, um, um, you could do like meditation or, you know, you could get these like relaxation oils when you were like studying for finals that like no one, I mean, I, I just heard through the grapevine about, but it's like, it's such a weird small thing, but it's just like, there's no visibility, right? I don't know that. So there's a couple things that stick out to me on that, on that topic is one is, is there awareness? Is there visibility across these amazing, you know, programs and services that are being funded and supported across the campus? That's one. Um, you know, the second thing I think about on this topic is, is um, you're going to have like a small, you know, I think population of students that like are going to take the initiative and are going to go, to, are going to go to try to find that like nuance, like service or program on campus are going to be spending every day at career services. I know a lot of friends were like that. I, I, I wish to, I, I hope I was, well, I'd like to think I was, I was that guy, but I, I certainly was not. Um, and it was more kind of point in time and need based, but it's like, there are folks that like really took advantage of those services, like proactively. I think there are a lot of folks that, were maybe some folks that are aware of the services didn't take the initiative because they lacked the context. And then I think a large, large population, I mean, you know, university like Boulder had probably close to like 40 or 45,000 students across both graduate and undergraduate programs, large international population, et cetera. And so I think, I think all to say, I think going back to an earlier topic around 
what is, you know, are we, are we oriented around the right, like the right barometers of success, student outcomes, impact, et cetera. I think if, if there is good visibility on what, what, you know, what outcomes, what are we trying to affect that I think you provide context to the career services and different programs that are available on campus that students can utilize to, to understand how do I get from path A to path B? If we have good visibility, and there's actually a really cool company based out of New York called um, EdSites. And I think what they're doing in terms of like using intelligent chatbots, cognitive and behavioral data to predict students that are at need, um, students that are at risk of, you know, unenrolling, um, a trading out of the university. I think that's profound, right? I think that's the kind of stuff that I think is amazing, which is like, you know, being able to leverage data, being able to leverage pathways to understand one, how to contextualize different resources that are available, but two is how to think about more proactive interactions, leveraging technology, data intelligence to provide a connection to a counselor, right? Or to be able to provide career services support, right? To be able to connect them with communities and groups on campus. And so I, um, um, so anyways, I, I, that's, that's like my perspective around it. I just think that, you know, one visibility solves that problem, but I think what's, what's truly missing, um, is really context. And I think as, as we start to like progress on this, like evolution and how systems talk to one another, what visibility there is kind of how we, how universities orient around, you know, what is kind of a unified view of success. Um, I think they're going to find a really effective way to stretch dollars and just get more, attach and take rate on these awesome, awesome programs that a lot of these universities, you know, that deliver and provide for the students. And I think one of the things that's so exciting for me in ed tech is like, these are human beings at the end of the day, right? It's not just software for incremental innovation. Like it's, you know, it's helping someone at a moment of need um, before they may need, they need help, right? Or helping someone kind of mobilize and get to an outcome that otherwise might be challenging, right? And so I think, um, I think, you know, the tools that we're kind of seeing and what we're talking about, I think, are are going to be really powerful in terms of helping affect some of that stuff. Well, and for me, like, it's kind of a joke of, like, why I love still working in education and can't imagine working anywhere else where, like, like you said, it's, like, it's impacting people's lives who are trying to better themselves and pursue their goals versus, like, trying to help people buy socks better or something where it's just like, <laughs> that's all well and good. That's important. But for me personally, like good socks. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's like, that's, that's someone else's job and they're going to do great at that. And that's their thing. That's whatever. But I'm like, yeah, like I want to just keep kind of like working on that problem. Like how yeah. do we better equip people to better support these students who are achieving their goals? And uh, just to give a sort of bold and underline to like uh, something like ed sites where like, I've done, I've gone without that trying to support students and try to discern and kind of read tea leaves of like, Oh, I think this person needs my help. I don't know. I'm like, or have people kind of really scratch their heads of just like, we're trying to build this with what we have, but it's kind of like, you know, not totally effective or it's just taking a lot of time and resources to develop that. So uh, I'm glad uh, that there are folks on uh, out there trying to build something like that. Um, because yeah, it's, it's absolutely crucial to try to help uh, again, kind of bridge that gap. If I'm like sort of, I'm sort of flailing here and I'm kind of like, you know, treading water. It's like, okay, let's identify you and really target outreach to the people um, who it's going to be most beneficial to. I, I agree. And Dustin, one thing I'll just, I'll say, uh, Russell, before you jump in here, I love that last comment. I think that's, that's like, you know, when we talk about headwinds facing ed tech, it's the fact that I don't know that it's, relative to other professional opportunities, people are like, fly, there's a flight towards, oh my God, I want to be, I want to be working for, you know, a school or a district or an academic institution. I don't, I, like, I think that's one of the headwinds is that this industry is facing is the fact that there's a flight away from it. And so there's like, you know, I think 
you know, even if universities are doing amazing, amazing things, there is, they're, they're battling resource constraint. And I think that's like one of the areas, whether it's, we see this in SLE programs for like K through 12 is like, how can you enable those professionals that are providing these amazing program support on campus? How can we allow them to have a greater and far re further reaching effect? And I think software is really amazing at doing that, right? Because ultimately, like Dustin, there's only, if you're in that, if you're in that seat, there's only so many people you can talk to in a given day, right? Are you focused on the right conversation at the right time with the right person? And so, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's amazing. And that accessibility piece is, is so crucial for, for anything that we're discussing today. If you're building a tool and no one's using it, you know, what, what good is building the tool? But I think for some of the people that maybe have an experience or a path where the traditional higher education ecosystem doesn't really make sense for them. I feel like in some of our research, we've been seeing that today versus even a year or two years ago, there are a lot of other alternative career paths available. And so Dustin, I, I wanted to get your input on, you know, just one, if, if you agree with that, um, two, maybe some areas that you think um, have really stood out to you as being fruitful from an accomplishment perspective and, and prosperous as well. A lot of people have been struggling to figure out over the years, like how to make like a boot camp model work. Like I think you've seen some kind of come up and fade away and all that. I've always been fascinated by it and think it's such a great model. But I do think, again, just to sort of encourage more people to think this way is like, I do think it may need to be sort of anchored or offshoot and maybe sort of like for kind of a parallel for people, like kind of like a continuing education model. Like there's a lot of schools of professional studies or continuing education that sort of was like an island and anymore has become sort of a crucial island for subject matter expertise and engaging adult learners and online education, and all that. I think, and I hope, I guess, uh, more so like that boot camps become sort of part of the family in a sense of like, we want this to be kind of like slid into kind of the continuum of learning to where that can be a really great pathway in for students. Um, and sort of similarly, the digital certifications that you're seeing coming out of like Google and AWS and stuff is just another way where it's like somebody can kind of reach a milestone credential and certification that can get them kind of gainfully employed. And especially at a corporation that likely will pay for their continuing education beyond that to get further, you know, bachelor's, master's and all that. And can just really start kind of this like, you know, kind of uh, ability to kind of ride along the rails and kind of move their career forward. And whether they stay at that place forever or not, it, they can kind of uh, start to be in a place where you have a quick, low cost option that enables you to then pursue further education you know, at low or no cost to you because your employer is helping to kind of uh, pay for things. So um, really love those options. And then another sort of radical one that I'm starting to kind of acclimate to is like gap years, like that being an intentional thing. I think we saw that sort of fully emerge this sleeping dragon kind of wake up during the pandemic where some people were like, I don't want to study online. Like that was not what I wanted to do. So how about I like bide my time and try to do something else productive while I wait to be able to have the college experience that I envisioned for myself. So there's a lot of organizations out there that are uh, creating those for students. And I think, again, if that can be included in sort of a like leadership experiential learning office at institution where like we will give you deferred admission and you sort of do something sort of some sort of kind of guided curriculum or experience or something. And maybe we give you credit for that too. But like, I'm just imagining, again, that that wouldn't be kind of the most lofty or sort of like intangible right now, but I've like started to talk with some folks and I'm like, yeah, that is kind of interesting because like, you know, whether it is like that idea of like, oh, I can't get in 
and it's sort of the institution being like, we have to defer your admission, but here's what we can give you is sort of this like gap year option, or it's students intentionally just saying like, I'm just going to put this off for a year. I want to kind of, you know, do some self-discovery and then be able to parlay that, um, you know, towards some uh, credit institution. So um, those are things that I'm kind of keeping my eye on in terms of alternative career paths for, for students that sort of exist outside or just sort of on the outskirts, you know, depending on which organization you might choose to sort of engage with to, to pursue those. So um, I do think there's a lot, of, a lot of great potential there, though. Yeah, I totally agree. And on the ed tech side of things, maybe more on the platform side, it's not good. Have you seen any particular areas where a software platform or solution has enabled vocational education, maybe an externship or like a workforce enablement initiative? Yeah, no, I, um, I'm going to try to exercise brevity on this. Dustin, I, I, I agree with you. And I think, I think scratches at themes that we've been tracking around one, just, I think we're in, we're part of the learning economy. Right. And I think, you know, the, um, a lot of what you're talking about, um, there's a really mature landscape around knowledge workers. Right. And I think that, um, um, it's really exciting, right? Whether it's 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 corporation sponsored, whether it's independent, you're using a Coursera, a Udemy, it's self directed. There's a ton of cool platforms out there um, to connect to communities and and mentors and things like that. So I, I won't hit on that. I guess the one thing I've been tracking is you know one of my 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 dear friends is is a partner at McKinsey and and part of what he leads, one of the initiatives he leads is you know workforce enablement. The reality is that like there is two observations. One is I think not surprising that when we're in the middle of challenging economic environments there's a flight towards education right and i think the reality is that like you know globalization is real you know and, and the reality is that like the the u.s economy isn't equipped with the right skills to be successful in the years ahead right so i think there's going to be a, a big shift towards workforce enablement um, trying to solve for the skills gaps that we see across the economy outside of the knowledge the knowledge economy and i think that's what you know russell you're kind of scratching at with Vocational education, I think there that's an area within the broader umbrella of education technology, the education and learning economy that is underserved, right? You think about, you know, like you think about hard skills, folks in the HVAC industry, electricians, plumbers, you think about like beauticians as cosmetologists, and there's so many trade skills out there where, um, you know, one, spend is huge, two is criticality is absolutely huge, where three, there's got there's an amazing gainful employment opportunities out there that you're going to see a lot of, you know, Americans, North Americans, Europeans, folks across the globe that are um, going to go down these like these, you know, kind of quote unquote non-conventional learning paths to acquire certain skills to upskill and to reskill themselves uh, to be competitive in the, in, the, in, in the future kind of labor environment. And um, I think they're um, what that is going to do is is create um, some awesome disruption and innovation in terms of how are we taking some of the innovation we've seen across K-12 higher education and applying it there, right? Um, in terms of, you know, tools to drive student engagement or tools to help with, you know, back office management, the the CIS for vocational institutions, how we think about payments and financing and, and things like that. How do we think about, you know, outplacement success uh, and the like? And so uh, we don't see a ton of um, ed tech companies going after that. But I, I think if we, if we're taking a step back and saying outside of like the learning economy is a diverse economy, it is certainly, there's a lot of concentration with knowledge workers, but what about the rest of the workforce, right? The rest of the folks that are trying to reskill because automation is certainly impacting how they think about their livelihood today. 
right? Or globalization is affecting their livelihood today, right? So I um, that's one thing on that piece. And then the only other thing I would just call out is uh, just to compliment what Dustin said is, is this concept of externships. And I think the reality is that corporations rightfully so are really holding them accountable, themselves accountable around their ESG policies, DEI initiatives, and partnering with universities in terms of, you know, as a part of, we think about outplacement success, creating social and economic mobility, like how, how are they working with, you know, students and students from underrepresented backgrounds to provide access and opportunity. And I think there are cool platforms like Paragon One out there that are working with large corporations, partnering with on the demand side and on the supply side, working with, you know, universities across the US and perhaps even across the globe uh, to be able to provide you know, I think, you know, one is operated as the conduit um, to drive an outcome that I think we all could be really, really excited about across verticals and across industries. But then two is um, to really be able to help, like help facilitate that in a way that removes a lot of the, the administrative and, and kind of um, execution burden from either the university or from the corporation. And so I think it's, you know, innovation like that, that I think is, is going to help one drive the outcomes that we want, but two is I think, you know, help facilitate a much more dynamic you know, outlook or view of, of how we get to skills acquisition, right? And I think that's one of the things I would just maybe as a, as a closing point, I, I think I'm really excited by is, and I was talking to my wife about this, I think the days of looking at Sunkip and saying, you know, Sunkip is a unit of labor, right, is long behind us. It's, they're going to look, you know, I think, I think when we think about workforce planning, when we think about workforce enablement, now, people are going to look at Sunkit as a collection of skills, right? And I, I, I have, I possess different strengths, different weaknesses, different skills. Like one is how do we get to a composite view as to what skills that Sunkit has? And when I think about my organization, my business, my, my academic institution, what are the skills that we want to, you know, from a planning perspective, we want to, uh, are required for our organization to be successful. And then how do we, how do we mobilize skills development more effectively to help fulfill the requirements of the organization. And so I put it back into a learning context because it does, you know, I think um, if you are a professional learner looking at these boot camps, but I think you're going to get to a place where you can self-identify what are the skills that you're missing that you want to acquire, or, you know, if it is from a higher ed knowledge worker perspective, looking at your core curriculum and, and you know, looking at outplacement success, understanding what are some of the requisite skills required for folks to be successful in finance and engineering and pharmaceuticals or whatever it might be, and helping equip students with the resource and the programs and the experiences to build that inventory of skills to be successful as they leave the university setting. So, And I, I just was hoping to wrap up here with uh, a few closing thoughts on you know, generally the higher ed ecosystem and some of the topics that we discussed today. So I'll, I'll give you the first opportunity here, Dustin. Yeah, I mean, I think just in closing, um, I'm an eternal optimist. I think that there's such a lot of opportunity um, for institutions, um, you know, during this moment that feels sort of very ambiguous, very confusing. And, uh, you know, certainly there's some fatigue. I think there's just an opportunity to uh, better take care of people, uh, both staff, faculty, and students, uh, you know, give them the supports they need to be successful, give them the tools they need to be successful. And, uh, just rethink what's possible and almost just kind of use our imagination, you know, like just really be inspired to uh, continue to iterate and innovate in higher education because, yeah, I mean, the work is so important. We need to have this sort of uh, 
you know, learner economy and sort of opportunities for people to build skills and build futures for themselves. And uh, I'm just really excited to see what's what's going to come uh, of this moment where it seems like it might be kind of a, uh, a quiet before, uh, I'm hoping, a very uh, active future where everybody's able to kind of recalibrate and re-envision their goals and uh, start working towards them and, you know, working with their kind of great ed tech partners and other folks to help kind of achieve that. I think the future is incredibly promising. I think one market opportunity um, is absolutely massive. Like spend, you know, I think, I think the importance of education is incredibly, is incredibly durable, even if our definition of what is higher education is evolving, <laughs> it's here to stay. And I think the reality is that you've got a ton of key ecosystem stakeholders that care deeply about driving a better future. And I, one thing I'm really excited by is the shift towards equitability, right? It just, it, it feels like we're moving in the right direction in terms of key priorities and outlook, which is awesome. And, you know, if you look at, um, um, one is you've got folks that are bought in, um, folks that are feeling, certainly recognize the headwinds, but see the opportunity. I think, you know, when, you, when you're in moments of time where there's intense pressure either your crumble or, or a diamond emerges out of that. And, and just like Dustin, I think we're, we're forever optimists and believe that we're going to see a ton of diamonds emerge out of this. And I think from, from our perspective as an investor, um, it's awesome just to see the amount of capital resource um, that has gone into the ed tech ecosystem. It's certainly not what it was in 2020, um, as a lot of the kind of quote unquote vacation ed tech investors have kind of like flooded the market. But um, there's a lot of capital and, and folks that are out there that are trying to support the ecosystem, whether it is from, from a policy setting perspective, from a capital um, perspective. Um, and so I think, I think the future is bright and, and a lot of folks that are, um, are unwilling to accept anything but that reality. And so we're excited to see what happens. Well, thank you, Dustin and Sankit, for lending your time and expertise. I, I think the conversation was super beneficial and wide-reaching. So really appreciate everyone's time who joined us today and looking forward to any discussions in the future. Thank you all. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Hey, all Zach here from Enrollify. If you like this podcast, chances are you'll like other Enrollify shows too. Our podcast network is growing by the month, and we've got a plethora of marketing, admissions, and higher ed technology shows that are jam-packed with stories, ideas, and frameworks that are all designed to empower you to become a better higher ed professional. Our shows feature a selection of the industry's best as your hosts. Learn from Mickey Baines, Jeremy Tears, Jamie Hunt, Corinne Myers, Jamie Gleason, and many, many more. You can learn more about the Enrollify Podcast Network at podcasts.enrollify.org. Our shows help higher ed marketers and admissions professionals find their next big idea. Find yours at podcasts.enrollify.org.